You are listening to a podcast from Classic City Church. We're glad you've joined us. Our services are held at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 595 Prince Avenue in the Piedmont Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.classiccity.org. This is a sermon from our youth pastor, Josh Rogers. Well, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, We've been doing a series called Journey Through the Old Testament, where we've been looking at various stories and pieces of scripture in the Old Testament, because we believe that it is still crucial and valuable to our faith and to our lives as Christians. We oftentimes focus a lot on the uh, New Testament, which is very obviously relevant to our faith, and yet there's still a lot of incredible um, value in the Old Testament that is, uh, like I said, absolutely crucial to our faith. And so we're going to be continuing doing that, and we're going to be looking today at a story about David. And the theme that we're going to be looking at is this theme of power. Power gets mentioned in a couple of the songs we sang this morning, and it gets mentioned a lot in Scripture. And in some times it means one thing, and in some ways it means a different thing. And today I want us to look at it in a very specific way. I don't want us to look at it and think of it as Superman, right? Super strong, flies around the world type power. Um, I don't even want us to look at it in the scale of uh, richest men in the world kind of power or world leader type power, Um, but power that each one of us has in our everyday lives. Basically, God has put people in your lives He's giving you education and knowledge in your life. He's giving you experiences, communities, insight. He's given us a lot of things that are actually stuff that help us, um, that are useful, that others in our world actually lack. And that makes them powerless in those areas. And I want to talk about how when we find those areas of power in our lives— To help the powerless in that way ends up, one, bringing glory to God, but also creating a bridge that can be um, really helpful. And it's meant to be how we live out our faith in a very significant way. And so I want us to get creative and brainstorm in your own life and in your own heart the ways in which you might have power that maybe you never realized before. One way that I kind of saw this in the past year in my own life um, was in college applications. I grew up with a mom who had her bachelor's at the universe, or Georgia State University and then got her master's at the University of Georgia. And growing up, she would you know, hassle me like many parents do about do your homework, get good grades. You know? And then you get further in high school and she was pestering me and encouraging me about taking the SAT and doing the ACT and you need to get on this, you need to apply for schools. And I remember thinking as a high schooler, this is so frustrating, this is so annoying. Well, it wasn't until recently that I see other kids in our community who are just lost. They lack guidance. They don't have anyone who blazed a trail ahead of them. They, nobody who instills in them a sense of urgency, a push and a pull, an encouragement and challenge in that area. And it occurred to me, whoa, that what I saw one time, that experience of being just kind of annoyed with my mom, actually ended up being a huge benefit I had, a big advantage I had. You all probably heard the statistics, it's easier to get a job if you have a job already. 
And they say that you are much more likely to go to an upper, higher education after high school and succeed there if you had parents who did the same thing. And so in that way, that's a place of power that I had that I didn't realize. It's a, it's a place where I have something that I could offer the powerless, that experience, that knowledge, that wisdom in that area. And I can do that to the glory of God. And so we're going to be looking at how each of us have areas of power, areas of influence, um, connections, uh, education, knowledge, wisdom, in so many different areas in our life, but we are just holding on to them. And we're not laying them down before God's throne. We're not sharing them with the powerless. And so that's kind of the terminology we're going to be using this morning and the theme I want us to look at. And we're going to be looking at that in 1 Samuel 24, if any of y'all want to go ahead and turn there. And it's a story about David before he became king. And I'll go ahead and kind of give us some context leading up to chapter 24. You see, David at this point isn't king, but he is serving in the courts of the first king of Israel, King Saul, right? He serves in the courts. At one point, he played an instrument to, to soothe Saul. And then he ends up becoming this great warrior in general, leading battles for Israel and having incredible success. Okay? But at this point, Saul is chasing down, is bitter and angry towards David and wants to kill him. He wants to destroy him. And the reason why is as David found success... As the Lord gave him success in, in the military and in a leadership position in Israel, Saul became very bitter and jealous about that. And he didn't like that. And so he decided in his sin that he's going to hunt David down and his men and try to destroy him. And that's just kind of where we are. And so David and a few of his guys have been wandering the wilderness trying to avoid and hide from Saul. And we're just talking, he just has a handful of men with him. Whereas Saul has gathered up an army of 3,000 men, and they're marching around the wilderness. It's a little uneven, right? And they're marching around the wilderness searching for David. And that brings us up to chapter 24, where we are in this current uh, climate in Israel, in this current situation and story that David finds himself in. And so the first seven verses of chapter 24 I'm just going to kind of summarize them really quick, but we find David and his crew hiding in a cave in the wilderness. And many of you may have heard this story, but they're hiding out in a cave. And Saul's army strolls up nearby. And Saul is in a position many of us find ourselves every day. He needs to use the restroom. You don't hear about the people in the Bible needing to use the restroom often, but here's one of those instances. He's got to go relieve himself. And we already know, based on how he's bitter and angry towards David, he's a rather insecure person. And so he wanders far away from his army and crawls up into a, a cave to go use the restroom in private, which I understand. I like my privacy too. All right? But David and his men spot, spot Saul in the cave using the restroom. Which I would say, when you're using the bathroom, that's like one of the most vulnerable positions we can be in in our everyday lives. I'm so, you didn't know you were, we were going to be talking about the bathroom that much today, <laughs> did you? But that's one of the most vulnerable situations you can be in. So he's far away from his army. He's off out of eyesight in a cave. And he's in one of the most vulnerable human positions you can find yourself in. And so David's men are like, oh my gosh, 
This is awesome. This is perfect. God has given you Saul into your hands to squash him, to finish this, this, this crusade that he has against us of chasing us around the wilderness and trying to kill us unjustly. This is perfect opportunity. Clearly, clearly God has put him in your hand to do this. And so they tell David, you got to go. You got to go kill him right now while he's vulnerable, while he's powerless. We have the power over him. And so David grabs a knife or something. He sneaks over there very quietly. And instead of killing Saul, he just cuts off a part of his garment, a part of his robe. Saul doesn't notice and David sneaks back away. So Saul finishes up using the restroom and he proceeds to walk out of the cave. And that's actually where we pick up in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 24. It says, Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king. When the Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on the Lord, on, on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will never touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. All right, so we have here David kind of laying things out. And I want to play a game really quick. Any of y'all ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie? Two Truths and a Lie? That's a, it's, a, it's a silly game where you're in a group of people and you present three statements about yourself. Two of them are, in fact, factual, but one of them is a lie, and the people in the group have to figure out and vote on which one do they think is the untrue part and which one do they think are the two parts. Well, in this story, we have two truths and one lie. <laughs> and so we're going to look at the lie first. And the lie is this. We often tell ourselves that God gives us power and advantages purely for our happiness and our comfort. And that's, that's why he did it, because God loves us so much more than he loves other people, and so he gave us those, that happiness and that comfort purely just for our sake. And that's the only reason. And that's what David's men believed. They thought, God put Saul in your hand right now. He put Saul in this powerless, vulnerable position so that you can use your power over him now to take advantage of him, to squash him, to kill him. And this is the lie that the world tells us over and over. This is the lie that our flesh de desires to believe in, is that when God has blessed us with what I'm calling power, but whether it's an education or wisdom or experience, we tend to think that this is something I need to hold on to, that I need to fight for, that it needs to be rightfully mine, like David's men proposed to him. They said, cut him down kill him. Do this. This is what God's purpose is for you having this power. And I, I think 
you know, we say the, the, that's what the world teaches, but that's what our flesh tells us. And that's even what some Christians will say, right? Even in America, we oftentimes see this, and I see this in myself, is this desire to get some kind of advantage as Christians, as the church, over the rest of the world, over others in your country, is to fight for and claw at and hold on to power, whether it's political or social or financial, to hold on to that power with a tight, white-knuckled grip. And I just don't see that in what David is doing here. I don't see that in what Scripture is teaching us, and I don't see that in um, Jesus' example. And so that's something we really need to self-evaluate in ourselves because I see that same urge in myself to hold on to whatever opportunity, whatever power I have, and keep it just for myself. Now, that's the lie. The first truth is the truth that David shows us. His men interpret this power that he has over Saul in one way. And David acknowledges, he's not saying, no, this is just a coincidence. God did not give me power over him. No, David agrees. Yeah, God put Saul in my hand. He is definitely in my hand. God gave me power over Saul, right? But he interprets how that power was meant to be used, how that power gets used in a godly way. And so we see that David decides to lay that power down, to, in fact, give Saul the advantage. He, he, sacrifice, or he sacrifices the power. He lays that power down. He shows grace to Saul. And you see it in his speech. He says, you've been hunting me, you know, kind of presenting. You've been unfair and unjust. You've been a terrible king. If anything, he has the right, right, the right to cut Saul down and take his place. And yet, that's not what David shows him. He shows him grace. We know David is called a man after God's own heart. And David, by no means, lives a perfect life. But scripture over and over refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And the way that the story is framed, we can take that this is a moment when David truly was reflecting God's heart and the way in which he handled the power that God gave him. And we see this, this same teaching even in Jesus. If you want, you can turn to Mark 10, 42 through 43, or 42 through 45. Jesus is talking with his disciples who are arguing and bickering about power, gaining power, fighting for power, holding on to that power. And here's what Jesus says. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." So Jesus is saying, like, yes, this is what the world kind of tells us. This is what our flesh tells us. This is what we sinfully desire is to assert that power over others and use it purely for our advantage and our comfort and what is convenient for us. But Jesus says, nope, 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 nope. That power is meant to serve others, not for your own selfish gain, but to lay it down, to hand that power over to the powerless, because even Jesus 
came to serve. Even Jesus took his power and laid it before us. And then the third truth that I want us to see from this passage, and we actually don't see it from this passage, we get it from what we know that comes next. And it's the hard truth. It's that when it comes to laying power down, it might sound, oh, that's so nice. Give up power to the powerless and everybody's happy and it works well together. But we know from the continuing story through chapters 25 and 26 and 27 that though David had power over Saul and he laid it down to Saul, and there's even this moment where you think, has Saul turned over a new leaf? He seems almost repentant and and sad about the way that he's been chasing David, and it's as if this beautiful act of love has changed Saul's heart. And and he does. He, He leaves and stops bothering David for a little bit. We don't know how much time passes by, maybe a week, maybe a few months, but Saul's back on his bitterness and his anger and his jealousy at David, and he starts chasing him through the wilderness again. And so even though David does this incredible selfless thing of laying down the power that God has given him down, laying it down for Saul, we see that him and his men still spend months and months in the wilderness. They still are living in caves. The Philistines are trying to hunt David on one side while his own king and his father-in-law is trying to hunt him on the other side. During this time, while he's away, his wife gets kidnapped. Some of his best friends die and he's not there to see them or mourn with them. This is one of the hardest seasons of David's life. And we like to think, oh, God gave him this power and then he laid it down. Oh, maybe good things are going to come, but no. Laying down power comes with a cost. It is difficult. It is tough. It is not easy. An incredible example that I think that we can see this in a very um, very clear, powerful way is in fostering. When it comes to fostering, right, typically people look at their home and they say, We have the resources, right? We have a stable family. We have a a beautiful home. We have the power to offer this. But when you lay that power down before children who are powerless, who don't have it, you're sacrificing a lot of that peace and that certainty you had. A lot of the, um, it comes with a lot of pain and a lot of tears and a lot of frustrations and difficulties. And so I I think fostering is this beautiful example of how, you know, I feel like we'd all agree that's a beautiful, awesome thing, but the reality is it comes with a lot of cost and a lot of um, pain. And so we see that in David's example, and we, we should see that and understand that even the reality that laying down this power is not going to be easy. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't um, lie to ourselves that it would be. And then finally, I want to finish and actually look at some of what Saul says when he responds to David, because I think it informs a little bit more about this power dynamic that we're talking about. Um, After David says this, Saul begins to weep. He begins to cry, and he says in verse 17, you are more righteous than I. He said, you have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. 
I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. So that's huge, right? This act of what David did. And, and so I kind of want to talk about some of the benefits. No, it didn't lead to an easier life for David. No, it, um, it, it, it didn't create like this perfect situation and a restored relationship with Saul. Um, it came at a cost. But at the same time, we see even in Saul's testimony, who is this angry, bitter, sinful, crooked king, he even acknowledges that God is glorified in, in David's actions. He doesn't say, man, you were stupid to do that. That was dumb, and God is not on your side. That is not how he would do it. No, God is clearly, in that speech that Saul makes, is glorified in the way that David chose to use the power that God gave him over Saul. In addition, we see that David gets to participate in the restorative and redemptive purposes God has for his nation of Israel, that God has for David. Because at the end, Saul says that surely God will establish the kingdom of Israel. Israel at this point has a king in Saul, but they're still rather disjointed tribes, and the Philistines and so many of their enemies are just pushing in, and they haven't really established themselves quite yet. There's not even like a palace for Saul. Jerusalem's not even the capital yet. They don't have a temple. There, there's just so much still uncertainty. And right here we see that, no, because of the way that David is a man after God's own heart, the way in which he chooses to use the power that God gave him in a righteous way is bringing about the restoration and redemption for the people of Israel. We see, like, like I've said, David is a man after God's own heart, and this continues to confirm that. And so the final thing that we see here that's kind of a benefit is David's affirmation as the true king. Because of these actions, it affirms that David trusts the Lord and that he really is God's new anointed true king. At this point, politically and just kind of practically, Saul is still in charge, but you see this shift, not just in God's perspective, but even in the way that David, in contrast to Saul, is using his power in a righteous way that honors God. And so it affirms that Jesus is the true king of Israel. And in the same way, we can glorify God in the ways that we lay down power. We can participate in God's redemptive and restorative um, purposes for the world, right? We can participate in his purposes by the way in which we use power for the powerless. Um, and then also it affirms in us that we are children of God. It affirms that we are disciples of Jesus. Um, in 1 John, John says, and I'm paraphrasing, but when you love, then that's when you know God right? That's how you know God. If you are loving people, then you know God and you are of God. And so that's really um, powerful knowing and seeing that affirmation there. Um, and so we've been looking at David and the incredible example that he has set in the Old Testament. Um, but also, we're not just called to be imitators of David, right? We're called to be imitators of Jesus Christ. And so if y'all want, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, and we can see the same lesson and the same way in which 
Christ has lived out this same idea and how we're called to imitate that. We're in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we see here that that first part, Jesus did not see equality with God because he is the son of God since the beginning of time, clothed in glory, wrapped in majesty, sitting on high with God. He did not see that as something to use to his own advantage over us. In fact, he laid that down. And I want to be clear, he didn't just get rid of it. He actually gave it to us. The righteousness and holiness that Jesus had in heaven He came down and gave that to us. He transferred that to us. When we we look at the sins of idolatry of money, right, financial idolatry, the solution to that sin isn't get all my money in a big old pile and set it on fire. The, The solution to that sin is be more generous. Take that power, give it to the powerless. When it comes to... Um, you know, idolatry of, and, and sin that can come with fame, right, and popularity. It can lead to pride, and you might say, oh, the solution would be hide under a rock or make yourself look bad, you know, embarrass yourself or something. No, that's not the solution to that sin. The solution is to use that power and platform to praise God and put attention on the powerless who need help, to to put attention on those who are forgotten in society and lost. While you get to have that power, you hand that over to the powerless. And so we see that Jesus, even is as God, deserving all the glory and all the power, decided to come down and give that same power to us. He gave us his righteousness. He transferred that to us. He transferred his holiness to us. He had the perfect, most awesome relationship with God. He gave us that relationship. And so in the same way that we are called to give power over, the same way we saw David lay power down, we see that also even in Christ's example of what he did for us. He laid down his power for us, the powerless. And finally, I want to look at 2 Corinthians And this speaks, once again, to how Jesus um, gave power to us as setting that example. But on top of that, it also talks a little bit about the how um, and the motivation of this. The motivation, obviously, um, should be to love people and glorify God. Um, But we can also see other ways in which we are um, pushed and encouraged in scripture. And so we're going to be looking at the scripture that Lisa read earlier for the inspiration. I just want to refresh ourselves. It's just 9 through 10. And it says, it says Paul is talking and he's saying, this is what Jesus has said to me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so here we're, we're reminded once again of that power, the spiritual and eternal power that God has given us in our salvation, in, in righteousness and holiness and a right relationship with God. He's saying those things, which he, call, which he just says grace, that grace, that, that spiritual power is sufficient, as in it's all we need. So the question is, if that's all we need, and it's so much better than anything else, and it fills every gap and every need in our life, then why are we grasping at worldly temporary power? Why are we holding on to those advantages those experiences and that wisdom and that knowledge and finance and time and all these things that are just temporary, why are we holding on to them when God's grace is sufficient, when God's spiritual, eternal power that he has given us is sufficient? We should be handing that out. We should be giving that to the powerless. We should be creating bridges for these opportunities. A way in which I've, I, I, I thought that was really cool that I kind of saw this lived out over the past um, month or so is in this Rock Springs outreach that we did recently. There have been so many people, people whose faces I see right now, that helped out with making this happen, that were crucial to, to putting this together. Um, but two people whose leadership, day in and day out, that really helped make this happen was Gator, a man, and my wife, Elizabeth. And they are both very different and have very different power, but it was the use of both the power that they offered that really did something special to create this opportunity. Elizabeth brings so much ministry experience and, and wisdom and knowledge in that area. She's so organized and a great coordinator and a great leader, and she has such a great connection here with our church community to rile the troops up, and she also has such a sensitivity when it comes to talking with new people and trying to create a vision and work together. And then our man Gator over here, this man brings such an authority and a, and a um, relational connection with Rock Springs that I could never have even if I tried my whole life right? He comes with so much of a reputation there that carries so much weight that without him being the bridge, it just could never have been possible. Not only that, that God put the dream and the prayer in his mind and in on his heart to see that happen. Elizabeth, that it just couldn't have happened so beautifully and so wonderfully, this, this first step in building this relationship and this community in that way. She couldn't have done it without Gator. And then Gator brought this vision and brought what power he had and laid it before the church and said, what can we do? What can we do? And so that's a beautiful way I see in which power has been laid down. Power has been given over to others in order to see um, the powerless redeemed, in order to see the powerless um, uh, experience God's love. And so we look at David and his, and his example, and, and we've seen that he had power over Saul, and that through laying that power down, it brings glory to God. 
David got to participate in God's redemptive purposes, and it affirms that David as God's um, king over Israel. And in the same way, we affirm ourselves as children of God and as disciples of Jesus when we look at our own lives and see the small little ways in which we have power and how that power can be handed to the powerless. And so I really don't want this just to be like, oh, that's an encouragement and that's a good word. I want this to be something we practically think about. Because like I said, I was thinking about the college thing and I just kind of keep trying to put little pieces of ways in which I have power. I have things that I'm using more for my own happiness and comfort and wondering how that can be used for someone who feels powerless, who doesn't have that. And so I really want everyone to kind of reflect self-reflect in the areas, even if you feel small and insignificant, you have something. And think about that. Pray about that. Seek wise counsel from others. And really evaluate those areas in which God has blessed you with power. God has created an opportunity like he gave David. And then share that power. Find the powerless who don't have power in that area and share that. Using that as a vessel for God's love using that as a vessel and a bridge to bring the gospel to unreached areas, using that as a way to bring about his redemptive purposes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for David's testimony and his witness to the way in which you have called us to use the power that you have laid before each of our feet through our experiences, through our vocation, through our education through our connections and our friendships and our community. Lord, I pray for you to help us see areas in which we are comfortable. We are um, in abundance. We have been given great influence and power. And through the motivation of acknowledging the incredible grace that is sufficient in our lives, that we are willing to lay that power down Father, please move in our church and in our community and help us to see ways in which to give power to the powerless. I pray this all in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Classic City Church. We hope that together we can honor the greatness of Jesus by growing spiritually, living authentically, and participating in his purposes. For more information or more sermons from Classic City Church, please visit www.classiccity.org.